take your Bibles and turn back with me once again to the book of Daniel and the ninth chapter. Daniel chapter 9. As we uh, return once again to this magnificent vision of the 70 weeks. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, which is really the substance of God's response to Daniel's earnest, heartfelt prayer of confession and his cry of uh, request for forgiveness from God and restoration of his people Israel and of God's city where he has uh, chosen to place his name, Jerusalem, and the temple that he has had built there. All of these matters were on Daniel's heart as he went to the Lord in prayer and he humbled himself before God, confessed his sin and the sin of his people. And here is the response that we find in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, as we look at this again this morning. Daniel says this, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, one interesting note about this text, if you've been with us and if you know the book of Daniel, is that it doesn't actually note uh, what usually is noted at the end of these chapters and in particular at the end of these visions, which is just how uh, flabbergasted and exhausted Daniel is at having heard these words. But I suppose that that's okay because uh, many of us can fill in that gap for him having heard the words and having begun to study this passage as we seek to understand all the details. And perhaps some of you are feeling that way where you say, I don't know what's going on here, but this seems fairly interesting. And there's a lot of detail here about what God is going to do in the future, but how does this apply to me? And how do I sort all of these things out? What am I supposed to make of this? 
Well, last week we began to wade into this and to talk about some of the beginning of this prophecy in verses 24 and 25. We're going to continue to do that this morning, not to finish everything here, but to, uh, to cycle back a little bit, to go over some of these things, and then to try to uh, think a little bit more about the big picture of what's going on here. What is happening in this timeline? What is God saying is going to happen? And what are some of the ramifications, not only for what would happen with Daniel, but for what's going on right now. Where do we fit ourselves as we sit here into the scope of the prophecy that Daniel has been given? And uh, what we're going to have as well this morning is a little bit of a visual to help you kind of put this together to have a picture. And I think we should actually have that uh, already available up here behind me. And we'll, we'll look at this a few times throughout the morning. But this is a little bit of a chart here. Does that all make sense right away? Uh, this is a chart that is, uh, with some help, by the way, in putting this together from a man named, uh, a writer named Alva McLean, who has put together a, a helpful chart with some of these things there. This should give you a little bit of a visualization of what's going on in the prophecy. And we will come back to this throughout the course of the morning, hopefully to show you where these things are coming from and to address a number of things that are on the chart. So we will uh, we'll jump into our outline here in just a moment and then we will come back again to see how all of this then plays out in a little bit of a visual form. This is this morning the, the uh, 70 weeks of Israel's future. It's Daniel's third vision and what we have is the angel Gabriel has bought, brought a vision to Daniel uh, in response to Daniel's prayer for the restoration of his people and his city and the temple. And God responds to Daniel's prayer by revealing, as we said last week, by revealing and promising his plans to ultimately restore Israel from its desolations. God responds to Daniel's prayer by revealing and promising his plans to ultimately restore Israel from its desolations. But it won't be without a lot of bumps, a lot of ups and downs along the way because it's not just this current time where there are going to be desolations and difficulties for Daniel, the time where he's praying this. Uh, it's going to be where there are a number of these instances along the road where there are multiple desolations to come. In fact, even culminating, as you may have noted in verse 27, with one who is called the abomination of desolation. And he himself is going to have to be destroyed before the desolations of Jerusalem are over. So far from being a short-term answer with a, to a short-term question, what Daniel is now starting to learn is what we can see historically and what we can also know still prophetically, which is that the ultimate desolations of Israel are still to come and the ultimate rescue from those is still to come as well. Well, just to uh, get us caught up to speed here, we're going to look in verse 24 and uh, look, first of all, at the big picture, 70 weeks for Israel and Jerusalem. The big picture is 70 weeks for Israel and Jerusalem. Last time we saw that these 70 weeks are really 70 sets of seven, seven periods of time that make the most sense to be seven years per week. A week would represent seven years, and therefore we have a total of 490 years involved in this prophecy. Uh, this is in keeping with the Sabbath years that Israel was supposed to keep and did not, and therefore they were in captivity for 70 years, one out of every seven, where they disobeyed God's command concerning the Sabbath year. And so it makes sense as well that this would be about years, 70 sets of seven years. The subject is, in fact, Israel and Jerusalem and the temple. We saw that in verse 24. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your 
holy city. And one of the items is uh, even concerning more specifically within that city at the end of the verse, the temple, the most holy place. This is what Daniel is praying about. He is praying about Israel and about the city. So this is the subject that God is addressing. He's not focused as he was in previous chapters so much on the whole scope of world history and the nations, although there's some involvement as we'll see. But he's focusing on what is going to happen to Israel. What is going to happen to this people? And he says that there are six specific purposes and promises that are going to be carried out by the time all this is over. When these 70 weeks have run their course, then God will have dealt with Israel in the following ways. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So that's the big picture. This is about 70 weeks for Israel and Jerusalem. Now we'll come back and talk about a couple of those things a little bit more uh, later on this morning. But for now, we're going to go ahead and just uh, catch up as well to what we talked about last week with the major events of the first 69 weeks. The events of the first 69 weeks. So it says in verse 25, so, that, uh, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven plus 62 is 69. It does seem the division is here to emphasize perhaps those seven weeks that are, happen at first. These 49 years uh, have to do with rebuilding the city and things like that and really getting it all the way back up and running, though we can't say for sure. But what you have here are two major events. Do you notice them? To the, there's a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And then there is the coming or the arrival or something in the life of Messiah, the prince. Now, last time we talked about what these most specifically seem to be. The only command that we can find in the Bible, the actual decree to restore the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild it is found in Nehemiah chapter 2 when King Artaxerxes gives a decree and permission and authorization to Nehemiah to go rebuild Jerusalem. And this happened, as best we can tell, in the year 445 or 444 B.C. Now, it's noted here that it will be built with plaza and moat, this referring to the fullness of this, and that it would be in times of distress. This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be a walk in the park to rebuild the city. And this will not be the final fulfillment of all that God is saying when this temple is being rebuilt when the city is being rebuilt according to this vision and this prediction that's not the end there's still trouble there's still difficulty and so the people that were doing that would need to understand this is far from the end of the story in addition to that it's only there are still a number of years that remain so the front end is the decree to restore and rebuild the city the back end of these 7 plus 62 weeks is, as he says, the coming of Messiah the Prince. And again, last time we identified this as none other than the coming leader of Israel, the anointed one, who we have now revealed in history as Jesus of Nazareth. This anointed ruler, anointed king who would rule in the power of the Spirit of God. This one who would be God's representative to lead the people and who would ultimately be the one to bring them deliverance from all the desolations that they were under. So this promised one is the one that they would look forward to. And uh, what we found then is 
that there is a period of time that is seven weeks and 62 weeks. There are 69 sets of seven. Uh, we discuss the fact that if you were to add these up in terms of just normal solar years of 365 point whatever days, then you would, have, you would end up a few years past the life on earth of the Lord Jesus. However, if you were to take the standard dating methodology of the day, 360 day years, a set of 12 30 day months, then you would come out to about 476 years, a little bit more than that, which would take you from this time of the decree of Jerusalem's restoration and rebuilding up to a very important point in history. Again, if we can uh, have the chart up here behind us, this will help visualize this. You start with Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah's decree in about 444. You go all the way past, there's no year zero. So you go from 1 BC to 1 AD or AD 1 and you end up in the year 33 and you have 476 years and change. Now, there is one uh, scholar, at least from uh, many decades ago, Sir Robert Anderson, who made an argument that this would take us even right up from one specific day to the specific date of Jesus' triumphal entry. And it is perhaps even possible that that is the case. But nonetheless, what we're looking at here is we're looking at one year to another year of these clearly defined events that were announced well before they ever happened. Now, as we've talked about at the beginning of the book and throughout some of this in the book of Daniel, there is a reason why certain scholars really do not like the book of Daniel. They really don't like that Daniel was written when it was written because what this does is it puts all these future events with very specific details into the realm of prophecy rather than reviewing them as history. But what we have here is an extremely precise prophecy about the coming, the timing of the Messiah. Of the Lord Jesus himself. This is an obvious supernatural prophecy. Something that we in retrospect can see that God has fulfilled with great accuracy. And it should give us enormous confidence in the truthfulness and the authority and the power of the scriptures. As a book that is truly like no other. So this is the time frame here of these first 69 weeks. You can see them from the decree of Artaxerxes in Nehemiah 2, to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ sometime during his ministry, perhaps most likely on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling these times. So this is the two major events of the first 69 weeks, the decree and then the coming of Messiah the Prince. But that, again, is not the end of the story. How many weeks are decreed for Israel? 70 weeks are decreed. So the story is not over yet. So we move on to verse 26. To verse 26. And these are the events after the first 69 weeks. The events after the first 69 weeks. And there are two major events in this verse as well. However, note that as opposed to verse 25, these are not said to happen at the beginning and the end of any particular period. We're going to look instead at the fact that they are simply done after the 69 weeks. Sometime after. So let's look at what these events are. And then let's look at the dates in history when they took place. And then let's consider what that means for the 70th week. 
that remains. So the first event that's noted here in verse 26 is this. The Messiah will be killed. He will be killed. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah, this same one, Messiah the Prince who is coming, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. A shocking statement if we didn't already know the end of the story. If we weren't familiar with the other passages about this in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 and so on, if we didn't know the New Testament account of Jesus coming and being crucified, then coming to verse 26 would shock us to see that the Messiah would be cut off, would be killed. And yet this is exactly God's plan. He planned all along for this to happen. Because he didn't just have a Messiah who would come into the world to rule the world, to deliver his people. He didn't just have him to be one like a son of man who would come and rule the nations. But he also sent him as the son of man, the humble servant who came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came as the son of man who did not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what God sent him into the world to be. And though he is coming one day in glory and he will have a second coming, at his first coming, he was rejected, mocked, crucified. He was put to death. But that death wasn't a tragedy that was simply just a story gone wrong. His death was atoning. His death was the means that God would use to carry out all of these things. His death was the sacrifice as a substitute for sinners like me and you. So that we could put our faith in this Messiah. And instead of being destroyed by him because we're unworthy and guilty. Instead of that, we could be saved by him. And we could become part of his people. And we could one day be part of his kingdom. And inherit the promises that he gives. And we do this not by becoming better people or by getting our lives together, but by trusting in what he has done alone. Because only he can save us and not ourselves. His gospel is the only way to God, not any other way that we can come up with. So the Messiah, he says, will be cut off and have nothing. This, of course, took place right on the heels of his coming. So this is after the 69 weeks, but not much after if much at all, perhaps just a few days, although perhaps if it referred to an earlier point in the coming of the life of Christ, it could be where this was a few months or even a few years later. But regardless, it is after the 69 weeks. But that's not the only thing that happens after the 69 weeks. It says the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The other thing that's going to happen is not just that the Messiah will be killed, but also the city and the temple will be destroyed. The city and the temple will be destroyed. This will happen, it says, by the people of the prince who is to come. Now, we need to carefully note here there are two different princes. You see this? There are two princes. There is Messiah the prince from verse 25, and then there is a prince who is to come, a coming prince, a coming ruler. This is the one who is referred to in verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. This is the one who is coming, the coming ruler who is going to deceive and betray not only the nations but even the people of Israel we read about him back in chapter 7 
he is known as the little horn. He is the one who is speaking boastful words. Daniel 7, 11, there are boastful words that he was speaking. He is the one who is described in great detail, starting in verse 19 of Daniel chapter 7. It says in verse 21, for example, I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. And then in verse 24 of Daniel 7, another king will arise after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. We'll look more at this next time that we're here together when we talk more specifically about him. But what we find there is there is an alteration to the sacrificial system and to the law of Israel. You also find that there is a particular time where that is going to take place. A time, time and half a times we saw when we were in Daniel 7. This referred to a three and a half year period, which aligns exactly with half of a week that we find in verse 27. What does that all mean? Well, it means that this particular prince, this ruler, is going to come out of that fourth and final kingdom, a uh, evidently revived form of this fourth and final kingdom. What kingdom is that? Well, not only does the empire of Rome fit the chronology based upon what we've learned already in the book of Daniel, but also we know historically that there was a destruction of Jerusalem and the temple that took place not long after the life of Christ. In AD 66, the Jews revolted against the emperor. And after four years and a change of emperor, the emperor's, the new emperor's son, Titus, led the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple on September 26th, 70, AD 70. And the temple was destroyed. The city was burned. And so this destruction of the city and the sanctuary took place who did this well Daniel nine twenty six says it's going to be done by the people of the prince who is to come so again we already identified in Daniel 7 that that prince would come in some form or another out of this Roman kingdom Roman empire well here we have that the people the Roman empire are going to destroy the city of Jerusalem And the prince who is to come comes from those people. That gives us a little bit more about him, but it also helps us to peg this. This is what was going on. This was the fulfillment of that particular destruction. This took place in the year 70. This is going to be important when we look at a few more implications of this here in a moment. So just remember that. Jesus is crucified approximately 33 And then 37 years later, this destruction takes place by the people of the coming prince, the coming Antichrist. So this was destroyed by the Romans. It says that it's going to come with a flood. To the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. The events of the prophecy at this point don't fix the current problems at all. If anything, it's worse. Daniel says, please fix The city, please restore us from our desolations. And the end of verse 26, what does it say? Desolations are determined. All this time has passed and we're just right back where we started? Yes, that's where we are. The city's going to be destroyed and desolate again. The temple's going to be destroyed and desolate again. But thankfully, the prophetic clock has not run out. Because there is a 70th week remaining. 
a 70th week remaining. Now, just a couple of details we want to look at about that 70th week, and then we're going to come back to verse 26 and think through a few things. So just a little bit of a preview of this beyond what we've already looked at. Daniel's 70th week is spoken of in verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Who is he? This coming prince, Antichrist. He is the one that is known as the abomination of desolation. Matthew 24, 15, Jesus very specifically says, you will see him sitting in the temple and this is the one that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. In Daniel 9, 27, he says, on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. It's very clear that Jesus is speaking about this particular one who is coming shortly before his own return. He says that at that time, there will be great tribulation like there's never been before and will never be again. This Antichrist is abomination of desolation. He is the little horn who will rule for three and a half years in this particular kind of way when he breaks this treaty. He's going to make a covenant with the Jewish people for seven years and then break it and wreak havoc in Jerusalem and more broadly on the earth for the second half of that. And that's why it says in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. How long? Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Until he is destroyed, he's gonna do this and he's gonna run wild. So he's gonna make this covenant, seven-year covenant, break it in the middle because he's a deceiver and he's evil. But this hasn't happened yet. All of this will happen, but it has not happened yet. And this is but one indication of something very important The 69 weeks have very clearly passed, but we're still waiting on the 70th week to begin. The 69 weeks have already passed, but we're still waiting on the 70th week to begin, which leads us to some important things that are implied by this passage. And so we want to consider not just the events after the 69th week, but now the timing after the first 69 weeks. The timing. The timing. Again, notice on the chart. If you will, notice on the timeline, there are two events that take place. Okay, two events. You see them there. There is the cross and then the little burning, uh, burning Jerusalem. Sorry for the the amateur art there, but it's a fire. And then uh, this is essentially the Jewish temple that's meant to be represented there. But you can see there, they're after the 69th week. But those events are not said to take place during any particular time period. So I want to just walk through uh, how we know that there is the 70th week still to come. A few things about the timing of this, okay? So, first of all, there is an unknown time period between the 69th and the 70th week. There is an unknown time period. It is known to God, but it is not known to us. And not only that, but from our perspective, we still find ourselves in this time period between the first 69 weeks and the final one week. Now, some people have referred to this as a kind of parenthesis, you know, where now the church is going on and there's not so much a focus on Israel. And some of that is true. But I don't think that's a particularly helpful term because in parentheses kind of implies it's kind of an afterthought. You know, when you're writing something and then all of a sudden, you're, oh, I got to throw in a parenthesis here to maybe explain this, but it's not really the main point. And that implies that what's going on between these times is somehow less important to God or that it was kind of a plan B, but it's not that at all. He predicted that it would happen well beforehand. And it's just as important as anything that God is doing and dealing directly with the temple and the people and the city of Israel. 
just as important, just as much planned out, and just as important to us. So I don't think that's a particularly helpful term. But we are in the period between those two things. Um, How do we know this, though? How would you prove, you say, that this is the 70th week is still future and that there is a gap of time between these two weeks. It doesn't seem the way that you would think about it at first glance. Well, let me just give you several arguments for this and then a few points of significance, okay? First of all, the text at least permits a gap. It at least permits a gap. It's spoken of as a distinct week in the text, which at least allows for it to be separate. Now, the seven and the 62 are spoken of differently. Like it says seven weeks and 62 weeks in verse 25. But it gives a very definite start point and an end point. They are meant to be in one clear way, a combined unit. But the fact that the 69 weeks are mentioned distinctly from this one week at least kind of opens up the door to the possibility that it could be in some way separate. So it doesn't definitively prove that, but it does at least open the door to that. Um, A second argument for this is that the events of verse 26 that follow the 69 weeks are a minimum of 37 years apart. A minimum of 37 years apart from 33 to 70. So if the 70th week followed immediately on the heels of that, then you have a problem. It has to have included not only all of that, but also the events of verse 27, which need to take place well before those other events would be done. Then somehow what you would have is the 70th week and Antichrist and the making of a covenant and the breaking of a covenant all taking place sometime during the book of Acts, the early chapters of the book of Acts. And you have them taking place before the people of the prince to come destroy the city. So now what you have is the prince of the people who is the coming prince coming before his people even destroy it. And you're reversing the order of the text. The only way that you might get around this is by simply saying, well, the first 69 weeks do actually mean literal year periods. But the 70th week is kind of a more general spiritual principle of this. And uh, I don't think that that is an appropriate way and a consistent way to approach the scriptures. So what you have here is a set of 37 years at a minimum that extend beyond the 69 weeks, which means that these events would come well beyond the actual end of the 70-year prophecy if they were all in a row. So it doesn't seem very likely that they can all be in a row if that's the case. Uh, Just another thing to note here is another argument. The events of verse 27 have not happened yet. They have not happened yet. This covenant with Israel... Broken right in the middle by putting regular sacrifice and offering to stop. The abomination of desolation, namely Antichrist in the temple, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2. The other events that that are going to go along with this, the persecution of Israel by Antichrist. All of these things, them fleeing to the wilderness, these things have not happened yet. And so it's not possible for them to have already taken place and finished immediately on the heels of the first 69 weeks. Not to mention a fourth argument that the events of the 70th week are said by the scriptures to come right before the second coming of Christ. They back up to the second coming of Christ. 
We read about them in the book of Revelation, in particular chapters 12 and 13, talk about the persecution of Israel and then the rise of this Antichrist, the beast as he's known there. We learn in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is asked, what's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The time markers that he gives are, don't pay attention to that, don't pay attention to that, don't pay attention to that. But when you see Antichrist sitting in the holy place, then it's about to happen. It's coming soon. You're going to run. You need to run away. You need to go hide because then there's going to be great tribulation, but it's going to be kept short for the sake of the elect. And then you're going to see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. So Jesus says these things are going to happen not right after his death, but right before his second coming. We don't know when that is, but we do know that these events will back up to that. So then the events of the 70th week will come right before the second coming of Christ. Finally then, as far as arguments for this, uh, the purposes of verse 24 have not yet been fulfilled. How can the 70 weeks be done? How can they have already taken place when the purposes of verse 24 have not been fulfilled? The transgression of Israel is very much ongoing. Paul speaks of their transgression in Romans 11 being the salvation of the world, Israel's transgression. That was their spiritual condition. Uh, so Israel is still transgressing in that sense. They are, re- they are rejecting the gospel. They are not in faithfulness toward God. Everlasting righteousness. I don't think that I have to argue too strongly that everlasting righteousness has not yet been brought in. And then even vision and prophecy. There is still vision and prophecy going on in the book of Revelation itself. The two witnesses that are there in chapter 11, these things are not sealed up yet. So the purposes of verse 24 have not yet been fulfilled. And I might also add, neither have they been altered. They have not been changed. God does intend to destroy the city and the sanctuary, to have it destroyed, and to restore those things. He's talking about some very specific things, and we have to go out of our way and do some gymnastics to get to a place where we say that these things do not mean the same thing after a certain arbitrary point in the text. So here he's speaking very obviously of destroying a literal Jerusalem, a literal temple, and restoring the same thing. So then, this is why we would say that this does not come until the future and that there is a gap of time between the 69th week and the 70th week. Now, that would not have necessarily been clear from Daniel's perspective. I want to be clear about that. Daniel would not necessarily have known that. But this is how it is with so many of the prophecies of the Old Testament, isn't it? The coming of the Lord Jesus divided into first and second comings with time in between. If you were to read the passage that Jesus read in the temple in Luke chapter 4 when he goes and he stops at a certain point and says, this prophecy has been fulfilled today in your hearing. If you had said in Old Testament times, well, it's only going to be fulfilled up to here and then there will be a gap of at least almost 2,000 years between his first coming and his second coming, someone might have looked at you and said, yes, but it doesn't say there will be a gap. Well, it doesn't have to say there will be a gap. It simply is the fact that there is one and we see it played out over time as those things are revealed the way that they play out in history. And so it is here that we learned after this didn't all take place right away when Jesus came the first time, now we know that there actually is a delay from our perspective for that 70th week to take place. 
What else is going on here then during this particular time? There's an unknown period of time between the 69th and the 70th week. And there is something else that's important to know from a bigger biblical perspective about the significance of this time, which is this. God has temporarily shifted his primary focus away from the nation of Israel until the 70th week arrives. God has temporarily shifted his primary focus away from the nation of Israel until the 70th week arrives. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 11. We want to read a few verses there and see what that means. What does that look like? Because there are quite obviously still some people from national Israel that believe the gospel. Some people do. There are some Jews who are saved even during this time. But what does this mean? What is, how does God see this? In Romans 11, starting in verse 11, speaking of this nation, it says this. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? You see this here, that they have rejected God, they've rejected Christ, and the gospel has then gone out into the nations in God's sovereign plan. He says, but when their fulfillment, when the fulfillment of the promises and when they actually do come to faith happens, how much more of a blessing will that be to the world? So Paul expects that this is exactly what's going to happen. He says, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Again, there is this underlying assumption on Paul's part that this condition is only temporary, but that during this time, they are not the ones of primary focus. And we find this here in verse 25. And following, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel, for how long? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And only until. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The Old Testament promises will come true. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. He is going to take that nation and purify them just as Daniel 9.24 says. It won't be everyone who has ever lived in Israel. It won't be every Jew who has ever lived, but there is coming a time when God will turn this nation. He will not just rebuild the city. He won't just restore the temple. But this people will be turned to him just as the Gentiles who weren't Christians turned to God. Just as we who sit here in this church today have been turned to the Lord. And the reason why, verse 27, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's made a promise in the new covenant he's going to do this. Why? From the standpoint of the gospel, Romans eleven twenty eight, they're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has made all these promises to this nation. He's going to change them because of their sin? No, this is irrevocable. It's always going to be the case. It's never going to be rejected. But in the meantime, there is a shift. There's a shift in focus. Um, when Jesus had finished denouncing the Pharisees as representative of the nation of Israel and their leadership, he, uh, 
He rebuked them over and over again. And in Matthew 23, verse 32, he says, Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says of the Jews persecuting Christians that they always fill up the measure of their sins. This ending the transgression, they're doing this. They're doing all of this and they're basically just filling out the amount of sin that they're going to commit. And then what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 23 is this. When Israel rejected Jesus, he left them with with these words. Verse 37 through the end. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. I wanted to bring you in. I wanted you to be accepted by me and to have mercy on you, but you wouldn't do it. And so verse 38, behold, your house is being left to you, what? Desolate, desolate. Just like Daniel promised that there would be a people of the prince who is to come who would come and after they crucified Jesus, after this nation cut off their Messiah, then this people would come and they would leave this house desolate, Jerusalem and the temple. And that's exactly what Daniel said. And then he said, for I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That future hope is still there, but not until then. Not until. So God has temporarily shifted his primary focus away from the nation of Israel until the 70th week arrives. So what does this mean? This means that God has not finished Israel's time and then now written them off for good. If the 70 weeks had already passed, we may say, well, that's it. He's done with them. He's moved on to other things. But there still remains here a very significant thing coming for them. All the promises are there. And in fact, this is the main message of Daniel 8 through 12. 2 through 7 dealt with the nations. 8 through 12 is him telling you, here's the future for Israel. And it's going to be bumpy and it's going to be challenging. And some of it might be very, very unpleasant. But there is coming a day when I will make good on all the promises that I have said. So even though, Daniel, you are in exile. And even though your people are in exile, there is a hope that is coming. And so we need to be humble, as Paul said in Romans 11. And not be wise in our own estimation, in our own eyes. And think, ah, we're better than they are, those evil Israelites. And we're Christians because we were so humble. Instead, we need to be humble and recognize that this is all God's doing. It's all God's doing. One other implication of this, by the way, if the 70th week is still future, it is completely impossible, completely impossible for us to determine a date of the return of Jesus. So don't even try. Don't listen to people who try. Don't follow after the newspaper and say, this is the kind of thing that's going to take place. Well, here are all the things that have been building up to this, and here are the eras, and here is all of that. No, we don't know. We don't know. And it will only be when these events take place shortly before his coming that anyone will be able to say, oh, now we know what's happened. The end has started. The end has started. But what do we do with all of this? Well, first of all, we praise God. Romans eleven thirty two. it says, for God has shut up all in disobedience that he may show mercy to all. You may know the passage in Romans 11 at the end. That's the wonderful doxology. You know that, right? Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. You know that blessing, right? But what is that in response to? Paul detailing God's magnificent, unexpected plans for Israel and the nations. And 
Daniel 9 and the details laid out there are at the heart of the very wisdom of God that we should praise. We should praise him because he has come up with this. He answers prayers in ways that we would not expect and they are more glorious and more wonderful than we would have expected. Because Daniel tells us that these things are pushed off to the future for Israel, what's happened in the meantime? We sit here. We're saved. The gospel has come to us. It's riches for us. So we thank God for coming up with a plan whereby he didn't simply restore Israel, but he spread his mercy far and wide to people like us, to Gentiles like us. We thank him for that. We thank him that so much of this has passed. We thank him and praise him that so many of his promises have been fulfilled. And we look with hope to the future that even though there are some things coming that are not to be anticipated, that there is coming one day a fulfillment of all that God has said that he will do. He's made good on his promises before, hasn't he? Down to the very details. And he'll do the same thing again. Next time we're going to look at the details of Daniel's 70th week. And we'll find out more about what is going to happen there. And try to put some final pieces together. Uh, we're going to sing a final song here in just a moment. And then we will have a few uh, new members come up and join us up front. So let me pray. And then we will sing and welcome them. God, thank you for the revelation that you give us of your purposes and your plans. And uh, these are not the ways that we might even design things, but they are perfect in your own brilliant wisdom. Thank you for telling us what would happen. And not only that, but telling us before it happened so that even as Jesus said to his disciples, now that these things have in large part happened, we can know that you predicted them and that your word is reliable because you said beforehand that all this would take place with great accuracy and precision. God, help us to have greater confidence even more in your word. Help us to look forward to the things that you've promised. Help us to put our hope and trust in you for the things that you have said. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.